William, here is the technology. I've asked you to simply make it smaller. Okay, sir, and that's what we're trying to do, but honestly, it's impossible. Tony Stark was able to build this in a cave! With a box of scraps! Hey there, enthusiasts. Welcome back to Hero Talk. I'm your host, Judge Greg. Joining me today, I have Axelon. Axelon, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Very good. On the other side of my panel, I have Brian. Brian, welcome back to Hero Talk. Thanks. All right, and our film today is Iron Man from 2008, the movie that kicked off the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I don't count the first Hulk. I don't consider that canon. No one does. No, it's not. <laughs> Ex- I have had this argument with people. So here we go. Iron Man, the movie that kicked it off. I'm going to just start out and say, before we even get in any further into the cast on this movie and talk about it, I'm super disappointed that this is the only time I'm ever going to see Terrence Howard play Rhodey. You know, I, I, I honestly think um, Don Cheadle did it better. Really? Yeah. Wow. No and, kidding. And, and, you know, this may be a little shallow, but I just, I think Terrence Howard has way too high a voice to... Oh. To, to play a no, guy I, like I love Terrence Howard as Rhodey. I loved him. I couldn't wait for him to get the suit on. I kept hoping he was going to put one on in this movie, but it was not meant to be. They teased yeah. it, but um, it just didn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I th- did you hear what happened that uh, that, that, that made him kick made them kick him out? Uh, I don't know the uh, the whole story because I only know what Terrence has said and what other people have said. And now, now you would think, well, that sounds like the whole story, and like, yeah, but you know, it's not. But uh, I hear tell that like they decided Rhodey wasn't going to have as big a part in the second movie. Movie, so they weren't going to pay him as much. So he decided, well, I'm going to walk and kind of figured everybody would walk when they tried to play that game. <laughs> and uh, nobody else walked. So then they just replaced him. What I heard was um, they, they replaced him about the time he got arrested for domestic abuse and they kicked him out and he was complaining because he got kicked out. And it's like, well, apparently these contracts aren't worth the paper they're written on anymore. Huh. Well, all right. So who knows what the answer really is, although I didn't hear your story. So that sounds that sounds a lot more reliable in terms of a reason to kick him out. I mean, you know, there's a mugshot, so... Yeah, but anyway, I I like Terrence Howard as an actor. I think I would have really liked to seen him in the suit. Yeah. Apparently, the War Machine armor was supposed to actually make a full-on appearance in this, and it was supposed to be, like, how Iron Man ended up beating... Uh, I don't know if it's... I, I know he's supposed to be Warmonger... Obadiah I Stane. Iron, I think it's or Iron Monger. Yeah, Iron Monger. I know yeah, he was supposed yeah. to be Iron Monger, but uh, just it doesn't make sense, you know? Like, he never calls himself that. There's no reference to that. He makes a line about it earlier in the movie. It's just. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I get it. It's it's really kind of cheesy to play the whole let's all make code names for ourselves. You know, it's one thing when Iron Man did it because the press named him first and he just said, I am Iron Man, and then he just named the suits Iron Man. So. Yeah. It kind of makes more sense. Thor is actually named Thor. Captain well, America was a name given to him. But, like, when they do it for these villains, sometimes it, it, it comes off a little cheesy. Well, it wasn't really. I mean, people call him Ironmonger because that's who he was in the comic book. Yeah. But in the movie, like, he never called. He's like, I am Ironmonger. Like, he never said that. So yeah. He, he, he mentioned it once. Like, hey, we're both Ironmongers. Yeah. You know, but he never actually called himself that. So. For me, he never really was Ironmonger. Yeah, I'm I'm with he, you. He, on that he one. wasn't he wasn't in the suit long enough to to to, to have a name. Yeah, his he's suit looked state. really. Yeah, his suit. Um, oh, no, yeah. I haven't really read a whole ton of Iron Man comics. I think most of my Iron Man experience comes from the '90s cartoon, uh, which is awesome and I recommend. But most of, that's where most of my experience comes from. But uh, is his was his suit? Did it look? Like the Ironmonger suit, or did they just take some liberties with that? Do you guys know? I have no uh, idea. I'm not really familiar with Ironmonger. To me, it looked like <laughs> he just built a really big Iron Man suit. Yeah. I think that awkward silence yeah. that we just experienced pretty much says it all about the caliber of villain they got for it. And he even... Um, well, I think... Go ahead. I, I think, he, I, I think um, from what I understand, and this is from someone who knows Iron Man better than me, you know, what he told me, that uh, he was he was like an earlier villain, you know, just he was exactly what he was. He was a, he was a corporate um, rival. Um, but it just did not seem like they really fleshed out the character all that much. Yeah, well, actually, he wasn't even supposed to be the uh, the villain of this movie. He was just supposed to be there so that he could be set up for the villain of another movie. Oh, really? Yeah, originally, I guess, I hear tell oh, that originally really? they wanted to make it the Mandarin. Like, they go straight on, like, Ten Rings, I Have the Power of the Mandarin. And early on in mm. the scripting process for this particular movie, because we'll, we'll talk about that after we're done here, about the, the, the varied past of Iron Man movies, but... 
for this movie, they wanted it to be Mandarin, and in early stages he was, and Obadiah Stane was supposed to be introduced so he could be a villain in a subsequent movie. And as it turned out, everyone was kind of going, I don't know if we can really make the Mandarin work. Now, I mean, because it's, it's, this is not the Marvel Cinematic Universe that we have today in 2015, where they could make the Mandarin work now. There is, there is a way, and I'm not just talking with the Ben Kingsley, I'm an actor Mandarin, but, you know, I'm talking you could make the, the, the mystic Mandarin work today. There'd be ways to do it. We've, we've now accepted the Guardians of the Galaxy and Talking Raccoons and Thor, so we would, we would accept it, but, in 2008, I can understand why you would say, no, there's no way. We, we got it. So they, uh, so they pushed, uh, Jeff Bridges' part a little forward and he became the villain a lot faster. It's funny because I was thinking, yeah, I mean, just watched the movie. I think, like, Jeff Bridges should have been a villain. Like, the, the ending felt rushed. It like, did so, feel rushed. Yeah. Like, yes, suddenly, did. like, they find the, like, the most incriminating piece of evidence ever on his computer. You know, spelling out everything about how evil he is. You know, I'm like, why do you really? keep that on your computer? <laughs> yes, yes. Why keep that? Why, why not just delete that? Why instantly? would you have that file? Like, uh, I better save these recordings from the terrorist group just in case I need them later. Yeah. What did Stark call it? A ghost file? Yeah, it was like, like ghost no, drive or listen, something. Listen, that's not what you do. Obadiah, Obi, Obi. <laughs> he, he put it you, on like a hidden folder or something. What you do is you put it like somewhere yeah. buried in your Windows system files under a, a folder <laughs> titled like setup. You know, no one's gonna look there. No, he he might as well have called it my secret terrorist connection files. Yeah. Uh, and, th- and then, oh yeah, I mean, I mean, she was just going through file, file, file. Oh, here's the one like, right yeah. on his desktop. Yeah, it's a good thing they have that translation software, too. Otherwise, she would have had yes. no idea what she was seeing. Uh, whatever. Anyway. Yeah, without that translation, it could have just been, like, the hostage video. Yeah. It's like, hey, pay oh, us. why does he have the hostage video? That's curious, but not really arising any suspicion to, well, hit the translate button. Why would, why, oh, okay. Well, no, let's talk Robert Downey <laughs> Jr. before I completely go off on some of the, the silliness of this movie that we forgive, because it was awesome. Robert Downey Jr. apparently did a lot of input into the actual character of Tony Stark. I remember... Uh, back in 2006 or 7 when his casting was announced. And I knew a lot of people were like, no. No, I just, I just don't, yeah. That's, that's the, that's what I heard. Really? Yeah. And of course, I'm, I'm with you guys. I'm sitting there going like, drunken, womanizer, full of himself. Like, that's perfect. Uh, yeah, that's perfect. Who else were you going to get? Was yeah, Charlie was, Sheen available? Nice like, Tom Cruise was, was one of their first choices. <laughs> Tom Cruise kidding. was. He wanted to produce and oh star God, in it. No. Yeah. yeah, that was, man, this movie, they tried oh. so many times to make an Iron Man movie. And it wasn't until they finally lost the rights and Marvel got them back that they decided to go with it. And even then, I'm t- like, nobody wanted to touch this movie. They had so many writers just say, no, I'm not going to do it. Even when they wanted to get rewrites. So mm-hmm. they end up, they start filming this movie, Honest, honestly, they start filming it when the script's not done yet. And that's normally, like, sends up the red flags for, uh-oh, uh-oh, Danger, Will Robinson. We, You know, other movies that have done that have oh included, God. like, Green Lantern, you know? But they start... Yeah. The, yeah. I'm not... <laughs> Top rope there. But they start this movie without the script fully realized. Eventually felt like they were... But anyway, no, they they start the movie, the script isn't fully realized, and what they basically do, and it's it's John Favreau, he's the the director, and he basically kind of lets the actors sort of ad-lib their own lines. And so, not only is a lot of Robert Downey Jr. in the script for what Tony Stark would do, a lot of the things that he says is stuff that Robert Downey Jr. just thought up to say. It's it's, probably why it feels so so organic and less scripted. That, that 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 Maxim cover model story had like, it felt like something he just came up with off the top of his head. Yeah, apparently in the, that, the whole press conference for like the whole "Hey, let's sit down" thing, that was just Robert Downey Jr. He was just supposed to walk wow. in there and do a press conference, and he came in with that whole "Let's sit down" business. And so, and all professional actors, they all went along with it, and they went. And Jeff Bridges, who's I think if Robert Downey Jr. It could be considered the genius he is, and he is. Jeff Bridges playing <laughs> off him in scenes like this is just, it's phenomenal. Yes, it is. I'd watch a buddy yeah, movie with these two any day of the week. That's why I, I wanted I want, that I want, I want they ended like his now. character in this movie. He's like, ah, they just continued it. It would have been great. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. I was, you know, it, he was so good in this movie, I'm a little disappointed that he ended up being a bad guy. I would have I would have maybe rather Jeff Bridges kind of stuck around for a while and just... Yeah, maybe at least like one, like one or two more movies before they finally said, OK, yeah, well, just a reminder, this is Obadiah Stane, the Ironmonger. Right. But I mean, let's let's give him four movies. Let's let me like him so that his betrayal <laughs> is much more poignant than. Yes. Uh, yeah. 
But anyway, I I love Jeff Bridges in this, and apparently there was a there was a lot more of him. I you know you check out the deleted scenes. There's a lot more of him doing sinister stuff. But like you have so much story you actually have to get through that you, I I guess they decided less is more. I I would have liked to have seen that. I just I, I just like Jeff Bridges in general. So now let me let me just move on real quick real quick to uh, Pepper Potts and Happy Hogan. So this is John Favreau because it's his movie. So we played Happy Hogan and and Pepper Potts. Now everyone was all up about like, oh, Gwyneth Paltrow is the Pepper Potts. I was into Iron Man during a period of time when these two characters were like married and had left the comic book storylines. So I had no idea who they were. And I mean, Happy Hogan. I guess it makes sense. You just you know, John Favreau's gonna put himself in the movie. He wants to play a part. He's gonna play Happy. I don't even like Gwyneth Paltrow, and it bothers me now that whenever I have to watch any of these movies, <laughs> you know, the Iron Man movies, that's one thing. You know what you're walking into. But she's showing up in Avengers now. Like, <laughs> can oh, can we just well, kill this character off or something? Well, at least with uh, at least with the Avengers, she she stays in the background. It's yeah. like she shows up because, you know, she's in the tower with Tony Stark and, and all that. And then, nope, she's she's gone. You know, Iron Man 3 was where I drew the lines. Like, no, stop. Oh, man. Well, let's we'll, we'll save it for we'll, that. Hero yeah, talk, we'll get to that but, later. But just, <laughs> holy cow. Holy cow. I was I've never been more uh, disgusted. And OK, anyway, Iron Man 3. We'll get to it. All right. I put it away, Greg. Put it away. <laughs> no, I just, I don't like Pepper Potts. I don't like that she was in the movie. And then, and now guys, you might need to help me out with this. I thought Jarvis was like an actual butler. Like, like his. In the comics he was. Yeah, like his Alfred. And then he, now mm-hmm. he's this virtual reality. Is that just because they couldn't rip off Batman? Cause... Yeah, because 2008, that's also the year Dark Knight came out, that's I believe. Right. Yeah, yeah. Dark so... Knight came out, I think, later that year, though. Yeah, yeah it was but like Batman a few Begins was later. already a thing. Yeah. So Batman, they couldn't really yeah, have yeah. Alfred 2.0. Right. So, I mean, in terms of. If you're going to do it, I kind of like the Jarvis AI thing, but it definitely yeah. confused me a little bit because I'm not, you know, I'm I'm comic savvy when it comes to Marvel comics, but I'm not, I don't know them as well as DC. So I thought Jarvis was a dude. And when Paul Bettany, I guess I just missed the, the memo that Paul Bettany was doing Jarvis. I thought he was actually playing Jarvis. And then suddenly he's this disembodied voice in the, in the, uh, the Stark mansion. And now I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm totally confused, and I think I spent the next five minutes of the movie thinking, like, wait, has Jarvis always been the disembodied voice? Am I thinking yeah. something else? Yeah, it's, I, I was really confused, too, because I, I got all my knowledge of Marvel Comics from playing Marvel Ultimate Alliance. Right, ah, and he yeah. was a uh, butler in that. He, he was. was. And yes. then I asked my friend about it, you know, my, my comic books, I guess, expert friend, and he was like, no, no, he's been the disembodied voice before. I'm like, are, are you sure? Because really? then, then I read Secret Invasion, and he's a person again. I'm like, so I'm confused, too. Yeah. I, you know, he works as a disembodied voice, disembodied mm-hmm. voice. <laughs> I uh, I would rather he do that than just see another Alfred because, you know, I love Paul Bettany and I don't know who they're going to get, but nobody is going to beat uh, Michael Caine as, as Alfred. Who do they have? I think it's... Who's playing it in uh, in the show Gotham? Sean Pertwee. Sean That's Pertwee, it. yes. <laughs> Sean Pertwee played him. Yeah, I, I think he made... I haven't watched the show yet, but I'm sure he makes a great Alfred. I actually quite like him as Alfred. And the mm-hmm. uh, in the mid-season finale, uh, they had a very Alfred-centric show. And he was about seven different shades of awesome on that episode. Uh, <laughs> it definitely, it made Alfred work for me. <laughs> I love it when everyone, like somebody looks at him and he's like, you're pretty good for a chauffeur. And he's like, oh, I'm not a chauffeur. I'm the butler. <laughs> Just like, oh, okay. Well, that makes more sense then. The butler took out the assassins. <laughs> the butler did it. Yeah. Yes. Which reminds me. Hero Talk is a spoiler podcast, and while we try to keep it on topic, anything that has been released is considered on the table. I might throw that back at the beginning just to make sure. Not a bad idea. Uh, Ah, whatever. (laughs) Whatever. Okay. Whatever. I'm apparently only firing on six cylinders out of eight today, so... All right, now let's let's talk about. I, I can't think if there's anybody else we've really missed in in the in the billing so far for the cast. I guess Sean Tobe, I think that's his name, who plays Jensen. I actually quite liked him in the movie, mm. but it seemed like he got a very high billing for as little as he was actually in this film. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's I good. I like him, but yeah, I didn't know he was that high a billing. Yeah, like whenever I I saw like the billings for the movie, I mean, it was Downey, Howard, Bridges, Paltrow, and then Tobe. Hmm. Well, I mean, he's. I mean, that's pretty much all the main cast right there. I suppose. I mean, there's uh, Clark Gregg is uh, his introduction as Agent Coulson. Is yeah, in this but movie. Like, yeah. Let's also remember, like nowadays, we would expect him him to be yeah. higher billed and have more of a role. But at that point, he was a sideshow. Yeah, man. You talk about this guy doing this bit part and having that turn into a career for him. 
I know. Wow. Mm-hmm. He must have thought he struck gold when people just started falling in love with Agent Coulson. And then uh, a Leslie, Leslie Bibb, I should probably mention her, uh, played the uh, Vanity Fair reporter. Oh, yes. Uh, I don't really know a whole lot about Vanity Fair. I don't know if you gentlemen will believe this or not. It's not nightly reading for me. But uh, No. Do they do <laughs> stories on this? I have no idea. All right. This is the wrong crowd to ask that question. Yeah. All right. But anyway, so Vanity Fair. I, I, mean, I, I like the actress. I didn't like the character. I felt she was she was there just to, to look pretty and to give Tony Stark somebody to have a one-night stand with. And I, I don't know. It just, it just felt like if you're going to get Leslie Bibb, I want to see her do stuff. Well, you, you would kind of think, like, the way she ambushed him like that, it's – I kind of expected Vanity Fair to be a lie yeah. to get him to trust her. But then, you know, she comes back in Iron Man 2 and – She's and they're still saying she's with Vanity Fair, so so that wasn't a lie. Yeah. So probably what what she's doing is she's she considers herself you know, a more prestigious journalist, and she's trying to pad her resume for the next rag Job. she goes to work for. No, I I can buy that. I I, I think I can, I can buy that. I just I just thought I, she didn't have a whole lot to do other than you know give Tony Stark a chance to spout some lines and kind of show where he stands. And I'm not we're not gonna talk the politics. Of, of what that was going on there, because that's not what we do at Hero Talk. Um, yeah. I just do think it turns, it's, it's a little odd that Tony Stark is very lucky that he happens to work for an arms manufacturer that is actually truly crooked, because otherwise it would have looked a little weird when he just suddenly turned his back on it, because, alright, if you're just the guy who's just, who's not supplying the other side, but is actually only selling, like, to the US, then you just kind of look a little spoiled and, and maybe a little, uninformed and like maybe you were in the cave too long but we Isn't can that move kind of the point though yeah that i guess yeah yeah yeah, yeah there was a point he, he was meant to like you know when stain tells him um you shouldn't be this naive yeah, yeah. i guess i mean it, it just felt like if he didn't happen to work for a company that was truly this evil then it would have been a little odd for him to suddenly quit the business. Like let, let's say everybody else who was there was armed with stuff from hammer industries would it have looked the same? Would it have been as understandable for us, the audience, if then he came back and quit arms dealing? No, because – and that's the thing. He, he didn't he didn't quit arms dealing because he was becoming a pacifist. He was quit – he was he quit arms dealing because he – because, you know, like seeing – He got shot his, with one of his weapons. Seeing his name on the side of that uh, missile made him realize, oh my god, someone in my company is selling this stuff to them. Yeah. And and that and that's what makes him stop. If it okay. if it if it had been Hammer Industries, yeah. he would he probably would have like gone to Congress and said, "Hey, he's selling weapons." Right. And then Gary Shandling would have been all up in his business. <laughs> all right. So I mean, let's move on to the story a little bit here, and we'll we'll touch on uh, some left and rights. Um, great opening scene, powerful opening scene. Uh, gets the you know the the barbs in his heart. We're not gonna we're not just gonna describe the plot of the movie. We're not hero talk is not you know watch the movie through our eyes. We're not the movie for the blind, but um, now in the comics, and I hate asking this because I, I think we all have about the same experience with Iron Man in the comics, so we may be the blind leading the blind here, but uh, I thought that in the comics, the thing on his heart was basically a very fancy pacemaker, not to keep shrapnel out. Was that was that just something they, they adjusted, like Bane's mask? Where, no, we all know- I, I think that's actually what it was. Really? Yeah, no. It, I don't think it was as, as advanced as what the movie made it out to be originally, but I think it was pretty much like it was. It was, it was like a hybrid. It was like part pacemaker, part shra- anti-shrapnel device. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I, I. I remember very little of it. My experience with Iron Man comics was very limited to uh, some stuff in the '90s, the '90s cartoon. I did read the first comic back when it was set during the Vietnam War. I was very understanding. They weren't going to try to pull the Vietnam War for this movie because. Nobody wants to see a period piece, basically. No, oh, and Captain I think, America. Yeah. Well, Captain America is one thing. You have to start him in World War II. Yeah, that's non-negotiable. But, I mean, for Tony Stark, I mean, you basically, what's, you basically look and say, what's the most recent war we've had? Okay, so have it happen during that one. In 2008, yeah. hey, guess where we were? We were in Afghanistan, well, yeah. so. It, it, it's got to be relatable to current audiences, you know. Yeah. The, if you said it during the Vietnam War, you know. When I saw it, I was a senior in college, and I would not have been able to relate to that. But you know, as a guy in ROTC, a lot of my friends were going, were, were getting deployed uh, to Iraq and Afghanistan. Yeah. This was relatable to me. So yeah, I I had known some guys who were in Afghanistan, so it was it definitely it resonated a bit for me as well. Um, and it was it's just a powerful scene. 
I don't know how exactly the science of the whole electromagnet grafted into the chest. To, I mean, it, it works because you know that Tony has to have something in his chest to keep his heart pumping. And I guess if you're going to come up with a device for doing it, that's as good a way to do it as any. Although, and I don't know if this bothered you guys as much, but when he initially refused to build the, the missile, and so they kept dunking him in water, I'm uh-huh. pretty sure they got the connectors of the battery wet. That kind of bothered me. Like, yeah. he, sh- he should be dead now. Try not to think about that. <laughs> yeah, fair uh, enough. Well, the thing that, that I kept thinking of was, he's got this fist-sized hole in his chest where his car battery is, and later his arc reactor. Yeah. It's like, is that not infected? Is that... <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, it really would seem like, especially given the conditions in which it was installed, mm-hmm. that that really should be infected. But I, Or you would think, like, when he got... You know, like when he's back in the cave afterwards, or back in his like his little man cave afterwards, and he's calling Piper down to like try to do the repair that technically doesn't make sense and should have killed him, but they do the repair. <laughs> um, and he's like, "I have no one else who can do it." Like, do, you don't want to see a doctor about that? Maybe give a big open hole in your chest. Well, he 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 wanted to keep it a secret, you know, because you know he already told um he already told Stain about it, and he looked. You could see him salivating over this thing. It's like, yeah. oh, this thing could make me so much money. Yeah, he's he's not taking that to see anybody, especially you know when he when he decided he was going to turn the suit. Uh, yeah. we, we started making the suit, and it was going to be a secret. Yeah, I have. I guess I just found it a little odd that he he didn't want anyone looking at the big gaping hole in his chest. Which I, I don't I don't know how deep that hole is supposed to go. It seemed like Pepper got her hand pretty deep into his chest cavity. Hey, look, I like, want to know like how they did that wrist. scene. Yeah, it's... I'm I'm curious. I haven't seen any anything on it like is that a fake chest or what's going yeah. on but it did seem like she got pretty deep in there like almost got the impression like that hole would just go straight to the to the heart it now, probably did i oh. mean it, it can't right because other if, if the shrapnel's already there then well it's i, I think it, it the magnet is supposed to be like maybe not like at the heart but near the heart driving yeah. the shrapnel away yeah now here's here's what's weird and we're gonna jump around because hero talk and i can jump around and when, later in the movie when you know he loses the thing and he's starting to go into cardiac arrest it really seems like he just hooks the electromagnet up again and then it's he's good to go he's happy like You'd think once it hits your heart, like, that's basically it. Like, I wasn't under the impression those things could wiggle out again. So, I would you, think... You mean the shrapnel? Yeah, the shrapnel. Once the shrapnel hits the heart, like, just turning the magnet on again keeps it from going deeper. But if it was deep enough to cause cardiac arrest, you're still going to have cardiac arrest, right? That's a good point. I mean, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know the science of it, because it's made up and silly, but it just... Yeah, it... it seems like it. They, they had to come up with a reason for why he had to have the thing in his heart. And then whoever wrote the parts about what happens when you turn it off wasn't really thinking through what they originally said to explain it in the first place well, well i think that goes back to the whole the comic thing where it was like part pacemaker because once once it's off that's when he starts going to cardiac arrest and then once, once he turns it back on that that's when he's fine yeah you know never mind the whole the whole shrapnel thing i think it was meant to be part pacemaker the entire time they just never mentioned it mm-hmm. yeah i think it was just they treated it like a pacemaker even though it was right they never well, really mentioned the shrapnel again until iron man 3 right no no they didn't i don't think so and actually you know you you know like you said they never really finished the script before they started filming you know maybe it was this was probably a case of right hand not talking to the left maybe i know that what they ended up doing is they took like two basically had two people writing two different halves of scripts Ugh. total of four writers so two writers on one half two writers on the other half and they merged them with a couple of people trying to merge the scripts and making them work which i mean kind of looks like it makes sense when you think about there's two different halves of a movie going on here but it does produce some disjointed stuff like this speaking yeah. of the hole in the chest and piper so, Pepper, not Piper, sorry. Orange is the was... new black. So, she reaches in, she takes out, you know, the original arc reactor, and that's fine. And then she pulls out, you know, the coil of wire, which is the actual magnet part, because that's how magnets work. So, she pulls that part out, which is bad, because then he starts going into cardiac arrest. Probably should have as soon as the power source is removed, but whatever. So when she puts the new arc reactor in, and I've looked at this scene, and I have looked at what she put back in, there's no magnet on what she puts back in. Yeah, she... I, 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 I was, I was about to mention that. I was like, you know, she never puts it back in. Yeah, the he magnet tells her to part set is it down. gone. He should be dead. Yeah, yeah. He tells her to set it. It's. I mean, did they cut the part where they put another magnet in? Maybe I don't know. No, Make it no. It, it, it goes straight. I, I, I don't think so. Like just watching the way the scene yeah. flows, it goes straight from she puts it down, takes the thing, plugs it in. Right. So Although, she kills Tony, basically. <laughs> basically, yeah. Yeah. All right. He's he's been a robot the entire time after this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe. Uh, uh, you know, I guess I'm I'm way overthinking and that this. Could explain it if he's a robot. Every time they pull his power source out, he starts shutting down. Yeah, there, there you, we go. We fixed it. 
You're welcome. Marvel. Good job, guys. Yeah. So yeah, I actually kind of like the design for the armor. I what I really like is when you know when he's in the cave and he builds the Iron Man suit. They really make it look a lot like the actual suit from the first Iron Man comic. And I should know what it is, but I don't. So forgive me. Everyone listening at home, all six of my loyal listeners, forgive me. Uh, I forgot what the actual name of the comic was, but it did. It looked a lot like it, which I I really appreciated. Oh yeah, that no, it, yeah, that's it looked good. almost it, identical. Yeah, I mean, it it basically it it looked like something that you could build in a cave with a box of scrap. Best yeah. line. <laughs> Best line of the movie, right there. Right I have, there. Best line. I have quoted that line more times than is truly truly appropriate, but I don't care because it's Jeff Bridges being Jeff Bridges and being awesome and i will yeah, never but, apologize for that when jeff bridges speaks you shut your mouth yeah that's right you do mm-hmm. you don't be like oh but i can't be i'm not tony stark you know and here's here's what's weird i guess is and this might be way off topic because i guess it would make more sense in this movie than the next movie but so the, the whole reason these suits of armor work is because they expect you to have a big hole in your chest with an arc reactor in it so how does Rhodey just walk in and put one on an iron man 2 i think they I just think- plug it into the suit Ten years? Yeah, that's what Stain did. Yeah. yeah, but for Stain's, I kind of understand because his was reversed engineered. They built it without having the design in mind of somebody having a hole in their chest. It was also super big. So. It was quite large, yeah, but like the one Rhodey puts on, you know, which is just the, the silver armor from this movie, he puts it on and it already sort of has an arc reactor in it, which is kind of weird. And mm. Yeah, now that I'm thinking of Iron Man 3, they all have arc reactors in them, which is kind of mm-hmm. weird. I think they just plug them into the suits, and that's how they work. Yeah, maybe. You know what? I am way overthinking this. Let's talk Phil Coulson. Yeah, okay. Now, Phil Coulson shows up, and I don't know. I'm not going to speak for you guys, but I know about the the first time they introduced themselves. And he says, Strategic Homeland Intervention Enforcement Logistics Division. And I thought to myself, that's a lot of words. Let me think about that for a second. And I'm trying to think, like, what? I don't think that's a real organ. Like, I mean, he says it so fast. So the second time he says it at the party, he says strategic, like, I'm, I'm paying attention now. Strategic Homeland Intervention Enforcement Logistics. I'm like, that's S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. So it, we weren't even through the movie yet, and I'd already figured it out. And then, especially, everyone's always like, oh, well, that's, that's way too long. And they're like, yeah, we're working on it. You're working on it? It already spells S.H.I.E.L.D. What do you mean you're working on it? Like, what are you just, you're just working on the trademark? Are you working on getting government approval? Like, you, this is the kind of acronym where you make the word, you know the word you want it to be in the first place, and then you come up with words to, like, fill it in. You they basically sit of, there and, like, I want to be called S.H.I.E.L.D. Come up with S.H.I.E.L.D. words for me. That's actually kind of what they, um, it, it was, like, half a joke, but, like, in the first episode of, um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., where, um, Oh. oh, yeah, they're talking, it's like, what do you think S.H.I.E.L.D. stands for? Something that's like, I think someone really wanted us, our, our name oh, to be yeah. called S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh, yeah, he, like, what does S.H.I.E.L.D. stand for? Blah, 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 blah. And what does that mean to you? It means that somebody really wanted to spell out S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, but for whatever reason, in this movie, they're still saying Strategic Homeland, I'm not going to say the whole thing, but yeah, they, they every time until finally, like, the very end, when they're like, I just call it S.H.I.E.L.D. Like, you don't think you could have said that at the beginning? Maybe made things a little easy. I mean, e- even if you say, like, well, they don't know what S.H.I.E.L.D. is, so you got to spell it out for them. Okay, the first time, but then, like, that's a mouthful. Then you say, well, just call it S.H.I.E.L.D. I think what you could probably argue is that he was trying to keep a kind of cover going. Like, he wanted, he was intentionally saying something forgettable so that they wouldn't think about it too much. Yeah. It's like, you, I, yeah, I thought it was, like, a bunch of – he was just saying, like, he spelled it out because that way people would just think, oh, he's another government guy. Yeah, from well, a really big organization. Yeah, like he, he wanted Maybe. To, he wanted to be unassuming. Okay, I can kind but, of buy uh, that. Yeah, I uh, I I'm I'm a huge fan of Phil Coulson, and I didn't think I would be, but uh, I I also like, and this is one of those instances where you introduce some support character in another medium, he becomes so popular, he makes his way back into the comics. Mm-hmm. Like, he basically like, he becomes so ingrained now. Everyone's like, you can't have Shield without Agent Coulson. And, yeah, kind of like what happened with Harley Quinn. Yeah, Harley Quinn, Renee yeah, Montoya was the example, same way yeah. too. Yeah. Both of them came from the Batman animated series and became so popular they made their way back. Now, Renee Montoya, to a much lesser extent, because Harley Quinn is huge now. Oh, yeah. I, I know everyone's a fan of, of Harley Quinn. Just walk into any Hot Topic. <laughs> Not that I, as a man in my 30s, go into a lot of Hot Topics, but I'm just saying. I go buy them at the mall. I can look in. They're right front and center, all the Harley Quinn stuff that you can buy and wear. And I mean, she's going to be in the, the movie... Um, 
Oh, what are they calling it? Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad. I couldn't remember if they were going to call it Suicide Squad oh, yeah. or Task Force X, but but yeah, I mean, it's she's going to be around, so that I love but it when yeah. that happens. I mean, Phil Coulson has his own TV show now because of this appearance in this movie, and he has, uh, and they basically turned um, Agents of Shield into a comic book line now. Have they really? They they just. It's not called Agents of Shield, but it may be like a reboot of an, of another series or something. But like they just had like issue number one of Shield, front and center on the cover, Phil Coulson. Excellent. Yeah. So I wonder if Clark Gray gets likeness rights. Maybe. I mean, honestly, at this at this point, it has to look like Clark Gregg, or the fans are going to lose it. I guarantee. Well, it's kind of like how Iron Man looks, you know, a lot like Robert Downey Jr. in the comics right he now. He sure does. Yeah. Yes, re- he does. I remember after um, and I don't remember when exactly they released. I think it was sometime after the after Hulk, but before uh, Thor and the other movie. They uh, they made that uh, Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes cartoon, which was awesome, <laughs> and I watched every episode of, and got canceled way too soon. But basically, the guy who plays. Uh, Tony Stark in that show is just chewing his very best Robert Downey Jr. impression. Yes, he is. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's a bad thing, to be perfectly honest with you. I think uh, that works. And especially when you, I mean, when you have people who become so embedded into the role that they, they can start to take it over. And they kind of, listen, I didn't give a second thought to Tony Stark as a character until Robert Downey Jr. started acting like Tony Stark in a movie called Iron Man. And all of a sudden, I actually like Tony Stark. And I've never yep. liked Tony Stark. I don't think anybody really cared about Iron Man before this movie. Like, Not really, you know, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, like I said, I was a fan of the comic. I like the Avengers, um, but Iron Man wasn't really somebody I, I spent a lot of time thinking about. I mean, other than... I mean, he was more popular than, say, Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, yeah. yeah. More people recognized who Iron Man was, but he's well, still, you know, down there. Yeah, I mean, well, I, I, knew, I knew who he was. I knew his story. I'd played a lot of Marvel Ultimate Alliance. I usually played as Captain America. Or, or, Deadpool. uh, yeah, or Moon Knight, Captain America or Moon Knight. Those are my two guys. Yeah. Well, the, the thing about Iron Man, he, he got popular when he was first started because for the same reason he became unpopular in, I guess, like the 90s. His villains were basically representatives of, uh, communist nations. Yes. Yeah. Russia so and China. Russia and China. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you had, you had the Mandarin and the Crimson Dynamo were his right. biggest enemies. Um, he, you know, unlike, you know, Spider-Man and Captain America, they were, if they represented anything, it was something we could all rally behind and say, yes, that's evil. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard, especially, and I, I understand this. If you wanted to actually do the Mandarin, like the Mandarin from the comic books, it's very difficult to do that and not be blatantly racist. Yeah. Not without changing something. Yeah. Right. You have to change something. You, I mean, you can't just you can't translate it one for one. Uh, I will say I, I don't know if you've seen the um, the Marvel one shot that came with uh, that was released with uh, Thor two on Blu-ray. Oh yeah, it, the Ben Kingsley one. Yeah, the Ben Kingsley one. It, yeah, yeah, they basically set up the real Mandarin with that. Right. And and so, I think that makes it better. But unless I see that homeboy show up in Iron Man four, which we still don't know is happening. It, some people say it is. Some people say it isn't. Some people say he's just showing up in in Civil War, but. Since nobody knows and we're not really going to spoil because we have no idea either, folks. We're just talking out of our butts here. But, yeah, I guess unless he, I see him, I think that's too little too late. Yeah, unless unless we see him, I think it's more of a, it's, it's a soft retcon to, to soothe angry fans who didn't like Iron Man 3's twist. Yeah, it could be. Here's what I've heard. I've heard that there is going to be an actual, like unifying villain in Captain America 3. So it's not just going to be the two fighting each other and you have to decide which one you like more. There will actually be a bad guy. Oh. Well, there, there has to be because, you know, they've barely known each other. So them fighting isn't going to be a huge <laughs> yeah. character yeah. development moment. So yeah. and, and I've also heard that um, I wouldn't say quote me on this. I, I, I don't know, like, of anything you can point to to confirm this. But what I've heard is that between Captain America 3 and Doctor Strange is still one more, like, date that Marvel has open. And the rumors are that they're trying to put Iron Man 4 there or some kind of Iron Man movie. They're just working out the contracting with Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, I would. I'd like to see. I like him as Iron Man. I'd love to see some Iron Man movies. I would love to see, and I don't know why they have so far been so adverse to it. And in this movie, it teased it when when Terrence Howard looks at the suit, and I'm like, no, suit up, Rhodey, and he doesn't. And <laughs> I'm like, well, the next movie, I better see a lot of War Machine, and he shows up like right at the very end mm-hmm. and doesn't really do a whole awful lot. And then I'm like, well, the next movie, at least in the next movie, he's got the War Machine armor. So he's going to be War Machine. No, first of all, he's Iron Patriot. Second of all, he spends ninety percent of the movie not as iron patriot or war machine so i want to see war machine how do people not get this i like war machine i want to see him 
No, considering well, supposed to be in the next Avengers movies. Yes, so he is. That, as, as War, as War Machine, or am I yes. just going to see Don Cheadle a lot? A- as War Machine. All right, it better be. <laughs> I, I I really hope it is. Like you know, they, they've they've already shown him in there. Like you know, he and he and Tony were both using like their respective gloves to to pull uh, Thor's hammer. Yeah, they couldn't lift so. it. No, I'm okay with them not being able to lift it. But this is what bothers me in that scene. I know Captain America moves it, and I'm supposed to be impressed. Are you telling me Captain America isn't worthy of Thor's hammer? There might be like some. Some like lingering, like like personal issues he might have. I don't know. Yeah, I, the only explanation I will even possibly agree with is that there's also a situational context aspect to that. Like Thor is the son of Odin, so therefore he always has the situational context reason to be able to pick up the hammer. It's just is he actually worthy at that point in time? Whereas I think yeah. maybe Captain America is actually worthy, but there's no context for him to need to pick up the hammer. Well, yeah, it could be like you could make an argument like that the hammer d- decides, okay, you know who is worthy, but also there's probably also a little who's my owner kind of thing. Yeah. So so the two that can pick it up are Thor and Odin, and then um, Captain America starts to pick it up, but it's like, oh wait 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 wait, you're not Asgardian. Uh, no, uh, another yeah. time maybe. Yeah, I, I I think under the right circumstances, if if he really needed it, and and per the situation he had to, I think toss. It I think I think to. when Ultron he, starts killing everyone, or not, well not killing, what's beating everyone? I'll say that when he starts beating everyone, like Captain America, he's gonna come up with with a hammer in his hand, just smack him around a bit. Yeah, yeah, he he's picked it up in um in the comics too, but that was like. Right after Thor was either incapacitated or killed. Yeah. There's a list, um, if you look out there, of, like, all the people in the comics who've picked up Mjolnir. And, like, it makes sense. Like, Beta Ray Bill has. Superman did once. It was, I mean... Big surprise? Black Widow has. Black Widow? Really? What? She's killed really? a bunch yeah. of people. Man, Mjolnir yeah, I... has really lowered his standards. Yeah. <laughs> but, no, I, um, I, I saw an article that was, like, you know, the reason why Black Widow didn't pick it up. And it showed a picture from the comics where she was holding it. And, like, she was wearing this, you know, like, Asgardian clothes. So I, I don't know which comic that was, but yeah, that's that one thing I heard. Yeah. Anyways, let's get back to the movie at hand. I don't know if you guys heard this. I heard that Robert Downey Jr. as part of his uh, as his deal gets a percentage of any of the movies in which he appears as Iron Man. Yes. Yep. Yes, he does. So I hear he got paid when Avengers came out. Like he made mucho dollars there. Mm-hmm. So that's the way to do it. <laughs> yeah, you have a choice. I mean, that's that's got to be the way to go. It's also why all the other uh, superhero casts got less because Marvel learned from that and made yeah. different contracts. Yeah, can't do that anymore. All right, so a like, couple of story points here that I think are worth exploring. Do you think the Ten Rings, that's the name of the terrorist group, do you think that was an, a very intentional reference to Mandarin? Yes. I think it was, yes. Yeah. Yes, I, I, I really do, you know. Um, and... It was either it was either like something that, like you said, they wanted to start with the Mandarin, but yeah. you know they eventually decided to cut that. I think they intentionally left it in there, to just kind of build on that specifically for people who um who, who already knew the comics, who knew the Ten Rings. Yeah, and I mean that was yeah. the first thing I thought because you know Mandarin played very very heavily into the the '90s Iron Man cartoon. I mean he was the he was, he the, was the villain, villain. in yeah. the in the first season, and then in the second season he was he was teased because he spent most of the second season tracking down his rings. So that he could come back and be, you know, the the main villain of the 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 finale in the second season. And the second season of that show, by the way, had the most amazing theme song that I really thought would somehow get worked into this movie, but did not. No, they, you, they 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 used the one from like the '60s. Yeah, they used the one from the '60s, which is is a shame because the one from the '90s was so much better. And I, listen, I know you want to do something as a winky to the fans. I didn't watch the cartoon from the '60s, and I'm pretty much right in your key demographic, so I'm the person you need to be given the little wink and nods to. I didn't know there was a 60s cartoon. I actually had to look it up when I was like, how? Because I I saw they used the Iron Man animated theme. And knowing what the animated theme was to the cartoon, like that being the 90s cartoon, I said, well, that wasn't in there. Was there another one? So I Googled it. Yeah, it turns out there was a 60s one. You know what I'm really disappointed in? That the X-Men movies haven't used their 90s cartoon theme. (laughs) Now, I have to ask you, do you want the 90s cartoon theme? Because I kind of want the 89 debut cartoon theme. Have you ever heard of there was a they they tried a, oh, a cartoon yeah, the yeah, one with Australian Wolverine yeah with Australian Wolverine yeah no I, I want the nineties ones it's just so awesome <laughs> fair enough I, 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 yeah. yes 
Well, it's kind of like when you know you watch the the Spider Man movies, and you know they they're using the one from the sixties. Um, yeah, but everybody the, the, knows that song. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's that's the difference. We all recognize that. You use the sixties Iron Man theme, and who no one watched it. <laughs> yeah, nobody watched that. Like th- any of those people don't care about Iron Man anymore. It's so I just feel like it was it was uh it wasn't really anything that worked. Oh, you you know whose fault that was? It was um. Avi Arad was the producer for Iron Man and the Incredible Hulk, and uh-huh. he left. He left Marvel to go work for Sony. But he, yeah. but he was also, I think, he was also a producer on the first three Spider-Man movies. So it was like, you know, we worked the '60s cartoon, oh uh, yeah, th- theme song into the into these Spider-Man ones. Let's do that with Iron Man. But you know, they did that in the Incredible Hulk too, and it worked because they definitely played the Incredible Hulk song at one point when he's like yes. hitchhiking, and it was a great effect because everyone knows that song. But with Iron Man, nobody knows. Now, well, it, and it also just fit with what was happening you know? right it, it was a scene that was going to be there anyway you needed music over it anyhow why not use the music everybody knows yeah now let me let me talk about this and uh, this scene was kind of odd and and stain used this device twice this little thing we hit the button and it in like it incapacitates somebody temporarily mm-hmm. yeah. the most convenient little device for him to have on a keychain in his pocket that he uses it twice and then he never uses it again like if you have something like that and it's obviously something you like to have I would have built that into the into the armor for Ironmonger, or I would have Ooh. I'd have had that on me at all times. I would have broadcasted to Tony Stark over the channel to knock him out. Like, yeah, it it shows up because you needed to incapacitate Tony and you needed to incapacitate the Ten Rings guy. And then after that, he's just like, well, okay. I'm kind of disappointed Tony didn't pick that up later. Yeah, and, that's what know, I would have done. As soon as that armor. thing knocked me out, I would have been like, all right, that's like going on the armor. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's a lot of, he, like... Because he doesn't huh. care about, you know, killing people, because he killed plenty of people in this movie. He sure did. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah, so let's so talk about that. One more weapon. Yeah. Right. So what, we killed... Did- and speaking of killing people, I just wanted to point out, I just thought it was kind of odd that, you know, he's he, he's supporting, you know, the Ten Rings and he, he leaves their leader alive. Um, and then he when he walks out, he has his he has his guards just massacre everyone else in the Ten Ring. Well, I'm, but, I'm sure they got to the guy in the tent eventually. I'm, I also want to know, how did they get the, the this this group that is very clearly outnumbering them to just put down their weapons and get on their knees? Oh, and by the way, line up in uh, perfect formation. Maybe they all had that same device. They all had that same device. <laughs> 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 Everyone just carries it. In stains. Why, that's yeah. as good a reason as anything they're going to give us. So I don't know. I'm just saying. Yeah. So now let's talk about this, like, Tony Stark killing people. Because he did kill quite a few in this one scene uh, mm. where he, uh, he shows up in the middle of... I don't if they're still in Afghanistan at that point. I don't know, but he shows up in the middle of uh, an area of unrest. I think they said oh, it in yeah. the movie. It was Golmira. It was where Yinsen was from. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. I picked up on. I just picked up on that. This most recent watching. I've missed it for the last hmm. however many years. Has it been seven years? Wow. Right? Yeah. No, it was. No, it's been out for six. Almost seven years. It'll Almost be seven, seven years, years in yeah. May. Seven years in May. So yeah, I've missed it every other time I've watched it. But so he shows up. It was uh, a lot of people I know of like kind of called shenanigans. That how can he fly from Malibu all the way to to Afghanistan? But there's a, there was a deleted scene that where he basically he flies as Tony Stark somewhere else to to have a party, and then he as the Iron Man flies from the party to Afghanistan. Huh. It would it made much more sense. However, I I actually watched the scene on on the Blu-ray, and it was such a slow scene. Oh, they're like, really? oh, yeah. It's it was really like they killed the scene. It was it was it was yeah, they, they, they killed the they killed the momentum. Yeah, it, it it would have wrecked the pacing of the film. So they just let him fly in. So I, I well, like they like that, well, that, that, he still did that. They just we just don't get to see it now. Yeah, I mean that's honestly where I go. You know, shut up. You figured it out. Yeah, he like, did something. Do you need us to hold your hand? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I just they never mentioned. Yeah, they never mentioned how long it took him to get there. They just said he got there. Yeah, I went along with it too. I didn't say anything, yeah. but I heard a lot of people nitpicking it. And then when I when I I saw this scene, I was like, well, that that solves it. So I'm like, even if this well, wasn't a part of the movie, I just it's plausible that that's what it he shows did. him yeah. breaking the sound barrier. So I assume he can just fly there really really fast. Yeah, yeah. What else was he gonna do? And he, if he yeah. can go faster than the speed of sound in that tiny little suit, then sure, yeah, he can get there in time. Yeah. yeah, I knew people who were upset that he could break the sound barrier, but <sighs> you know, some people just want to point out any. You know, we're not cinemasins here, folks. It's not my job to point out all the little nitpicks of the movie, but 
I, I had no issue at all with him suddenly showing up in Afghanistan after having been in Malibu in the previous scene. No problem at all with it. Yeah, me neither. I uh, I love the scene, though. I, I love him showing up. I love him taking out the guys. Uh, the thing where he tracks everybody's faces and then just shoots them with the shoulder cannon. Or... <laughs> yes. That was good. The, the little missile at the tank, that was awesome. Yep. Although, what a waste of a crack shot tank shooter, huh? That guy shot him out of the air. Yeah, so that's like that's, the best tank shooter in the world. Like that's tanks can't do that, man. That guy had a gift, and you blew yeah. him up. Well, or or it could have been like you know when when the Cuban shot down the the U two lucky shot. Maybe. Oh, speaking of, I know how it should have ended. Touches on this a lot, but that tank missile never ever again does it appear. Yeah, that would have been really handy later. Against... Oh yeah. <laughs> well, no, well, he he replaces it with um with that laser. In Iron Man 2. In Iron Man 2. I'm saying later in this very movie, he probably could have used that. Against a certain Ironmonger guy. He probably never reloaded, you know? Yeah. He does seem like a bit of a drunk, so... Yeah. Oh, you know what that you know what that thing just made me think of? What? The ex-wife from Iron Man 2. Yeah. It's a lot like the ex-wife, except but the ex-wife. But it works. <laughs> yeah, it worked. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought that maybe in Iron Man 2 that was a reference to it. I, I thought that was a intentional. I have no idea if it was, but that's what it kind of felt like. Like, oh, here's my little missile that blows things up and dink. Yeah, it, Hammer seems like the kind of guy who would rip something off and then screw it up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was, yeah, I, I mean, I love the little anti-tank, mi- I love how it works, and he turns around, then it blows up. I thought it was, mm-hmm. it was a great scene. I mean, I really wish I could have enjoyed it in the theater instead of seeing it every single trailer for this movie, but. Yeah, there, there, there's always, you know, like, like one of the most awesome scenes is just gonna be done to death. Yeah. In I'm, the trailers, and yeah. And I TV. know you gotta build up hype, but come on. Just let me enjoy the movie, but it just yeah, it really would have felt better if he had if he had used that. And then I guess he does in Iron Man two instead of having that device, he's got lasers in the newest armor, which he can. I... <laughs> All right, that was just silly. We'll talk about okay. it. Okay, I'm I'm about to pitch a good way to do a trailer. Like if you're ever gonna have a scene like that again, yeah. where it's like a timed explosion, what they should have done in the trailer was like show Iron Man dodge the dodge the shell. And then fire his missile and just have it cut so that it looks like it blows up immediately. Yeah. And then that that way it's much more awesome when you see it in the theater. I could be I could be okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this movie. You know what really surprised me? Now that we're now that we're starting to talk about some of the action sequences, for as as awesome as this movie was, and I very much liked it. I don't want to think like I'm trying to rag on the movie. There was not a lot of action to it. There really wasn't. I mean, not there really. was there was the escape from the cave. I mean, there's the opening. I think scene. There, there were three big action scenes, really. Yeah. I mean, you had the opening scene, which is very short. Mm-hmm. Um, you had the escape from the cave. Yeah. Uh, you had you know this this fight in Afghanistan and in Gomera, and then you had uh you had the fight with uh, Ironmonger. Yeah, it that, was a lot of it was a lot of build up. Yeah, I mean there was there were some times where he's using the suit like flying or when he's testing out the suit and let, let me there is not a whole lot in this movie I would enjoy more than watching him test out the suit with his little AI thing spraying him with the, <laughs> with the fire dummy. extinguisher. Yeah, uh-huh. so I don't want to think like I'm complaining because I actually quite like those scenes and when it shows him suiting up and stepping on the thing and like getting the suit on, I like that. I, yeah. I don't like how they've streamlined it so much in these other movies so that we don't see that as much anymore. He's just walking into and out of the armor. He's leaving it parked on the side of the road while he has Thai food or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. well, 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 th- well, think about it. Well, like, if if you were Tony Stark and you were constantly... Oh, I would do to it play. too. Yeah, oh, I yeah. agree. I agree. It makes it's sense. It's not much I just, fun to watch. It's not as fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in in the Avengers, there was that one that was it was kind of cool where he just walks on the panel and the thing's yeah. taking all the stuff off him while he walks. That was pretty neat. Yeah. Um, I think the having him just like walk out of it in in Iron Man three was probably more to set up. Hey, he's going to do that with all these other suits. Yeah. So yeah, that, that way it, it's much more believable. Like, okay, he did it with that one earlier, so it makes right. sense he's doing it with all these other ones. I mean, it may. I guess you know, in, in Avengers, they kind of they fired that bullet out of the gun where he had the suit that was able to track him and then just jump right on him. Yeah. Because uh-huh. up until that point, he had to go through this whole process to get the suit on and off, and that was the first time the suit was able to just boom on you go. Well, that was fun. That yeah. was fun to watch. No, I mean, we'll we'll get to that one, but yeah, that yeah. was. And so I guess from there, you basically, he can't go back to having the slow process now that it shows that he knows how to do that. Yeah. So now, I guess as long as we're talking about these action sequences, and let's let's talk about the Iron Man, Iron Monger. First, S.H.I.E.L.D. shows up, and S.H.I.E.L.D., for as much as they want to say, like, they've got this covered and they know what they're doing, they really got embarrassed by this suit. Well, they were brand new at this. (laughs) 
They, they I mean, said I, they'd I, been at it a long time. Apparently, a, uh, Agent Carter's been going for quite a while since World War II era. Yeah, I don't think they've ever dealt with anything like that. I think like they're that. expecting what? just to find Obadiah Stane, not a giant Iron Man suit, you know, the yeah. size of a, of a bus. That's It's poor intel. It is. Well, they, they knew they were looking for a suit. They just thought they'd found it. Mm-hmm. They didn't expect it to be ready yet. They found the one Tony's old suit. They didn't find Ironmonger's yeah. suit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I I kind of like the Ironmonger suit in that it makes sense. Where if you're gonna have Tony in his suit and he's got all these abilities, the best way to put him in peril is well, somebody's got a better suit. And I don't know if "better's" the right word. I'm just saying it's, it's bigger and more focused on violence. Yeah. And it really seems like it took Tony way too long to see Obi's suit and then make the connection to, hey, you know what? Maybe I should make a big one, you know, just in case I run into the Hulk at some point in time. You know, ever since when he had a cameo in The Incredible Hulk talking about yeah, how he thought yeah. technology He's was no excuse. than bioweapons, yeah. I was like, I've been waiting for him to, like, reverse engineer that, that Ironmonger suit for years now until it, finally I got that in the, the Ultron trailer. Yeah, like, what you kind of so got long? it in the. You, you kind of got it in the third one where. Like, yeah, you, there was a big suit, but I mean, like, yeah. it, it's not like I don't think it was a tiny compared to yeah. the other suits. And let's yeah. be honest, that scene was dumb in the third one, so it doesn't count. And, I mean, you know, the um, yeah, it does seem kind of weird that it took him that long to come up with a Hulkbuster armor, considering he kind of suggests at the in that cameo scene that they're putting together a team to chase down the Hulk. Like w- wouldn't you want something like that? <laughs> yeah. Isn't that exactly what you want if you're going to chase down the Hulk? But okay, you know what? I'm not Tony Stark. I also didn't make <laughs> these movies whatever. We're finally going to see it so I should just be thankful and and we'll we'll put it at that. But I I I like this scene. I I I guess I really like the way it works. The thing that makes me a little bit sad is you know they go up, they fly up high and and Obi suit freezes. I'm going to say Obi because Obadiah sounds kind of weird. But Obi suit like freezes over yeah well stain works too stain <laughs> suit freezes over doesn't matter because and it makes sense you know hey i tested the thing out and it turned out i ran into this issue so i figured you probably haven't fixed it yet yeah. and i mean all of that all that basically does is just sets up the scene for them to be somewhere else later like it didn't actually take stain out no so i I mean, I guess for me, the as the audience member, like, okay, you lulled me into the false sense of security. I thought he had him, but well, well, I, I thought you know it wasn't climactic look, enough. Yeah. Well, looking at the way, like, he gets on the roof and he starts, you know, taking all the pieces off. He's like, I got to get out of this thing. Like, I, there seemed to be kind of a sense of urgency about it. It's like I, I don't know why he'd want to get out of it if he knew because his his power was failing. I think he was trying to like get it off so his 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 chest would stop trying to power the suit. Yeah, all right, that's a good point. So I, I don't think he believed Stain was, was finished at that point because, you know, he survived it when it happened to him. Yeah. He, he he probably assumed he figured out a way to get out of it. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it, and this, it leads to this area where, where Pepper, I don't know how you would set up a park reactor to do this, but, like, she did the right sequence to make the thing blow up straight up. Seems like you'd have all kinds of fail-safes that wouldn't let you do that, but I don't know. I, I don't know what kind of shorts and, and overrides they have, so maybe they have it, but it, it really felt like we just needed Pepper to have something to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, this, I, seemed, I, I, this was just as easy if, if he had been like, Jarvis, I need you to blow the main arc reactor. Jarvis like, yeah, what are you talking about? It's going to just do it, Jarvis, and you have the same tension then with Pepper doing it. That's true. Yeah, I think you're right. They needed to give her something to do. They needed to, like, they, especially since they were trying to build up the romantic the relationship. It's which like, didn't like, work for me. I don't know if you guys were buying into it. The whole oh, no, romantic no, no. angle just felt so forced. Yeah, I mean, I could see him yeah, hitting it, on it, her, but not, not, not a romance. Yeah, it was, it just felt so forced and it was so unnatural. And listen, I love the movie. I'm not trying to tear it apart, but I think Robert Downey Jr. and Gwyneth Paltrow have about zero chemistry and I don't want to see them in any scenes together. Well, I, I think it worked in, in the first one because he was like this lovesick puppy who's just realized who he has a crush on and he's having a very hard time expressing that. And at the very end, she doesn't reciprocate at all. It's like, you know, you just kind of left me on that roof. So I'm kind of mad. So I, I think it worked there. It doesn't work after that. Yeah. It, guess, it, it kind of works in the first movie, kind of. Yeah, I yeah. guess I can see your point. It probably – I'm taking my anger over Iron Man 2 and 3 <laughs> and Avengers, and I am retroactively holding it against Gwyneth Paltrow in this movie. Because to be honest, I, I didn't think – I don't think this bothered me at all when I saw this movie without having seen the others. But going back now and knowing where it leads, I now get angry about it. <laughs> And I think I'm justified in that because I don't like her in them and I, I don't like having any part of that. I also felt Rhodey needed to have more to do in this movie. Of course, I've already said I wanted yeah. him to be in the Iron Man armor, but like all he basically does like for this final battle scene is just tell the Air Force, like, hey, it's a training exercise. And listen, I don't know how they do things in the Air Force. 
But uh, I'm pretty sure if you say something's a training exercise, like people do follow up on that. Yeah. Well, they at least want to say, okay, where's the plan? Can, can we get in yeah. on this? Because yeah. I mean, are we supposed to be doing something? Yeah. yeah well, I mean, it was it was a callback to when Iron Man destroyed the plane accidentally. Yeah. And they they they, they pass it off. That that made sense because they didn't want to reveal that right. this. Because that's where they all know weapon. it wasn't a training exercise, right. but they say it. But like, right. you you can't lie to the military about their own training exercise. Yeah. Somebody yeah. looks up into that sort of thing. Like, well, I, I don't care it, what you say. Rhodey's in front of a court martial right now. Well, when, yeah, when he said, you know, nothing to worry about. It's just a training exercise. That one guy just kind of looks at him like, I don't believe you, but you're a lieutenant colonel, so I'm going to hush my mouth. One thing that bothered me about this and it and really bothered me in the Transformers movie, and it, it just it, it seemed I'm glad this trend stopped when it did. It really seemed like action, like big blockbuster action movies based on like our childhood cartoons were turning into recruiting videos for the Air Force. Yeah. And listen, I, I have I have no ill will towards the Air Force. They keep our satellites running. I mean, that's basically what they do. Like you can say, like, oh, what about the planes? Well, let's be perfectly honest. The Navy and the Army basically have all the planes at this point, as, but, as odd as that might be. But yeah, I mean, I have no ill will for them. But then like in this movie and in, in Transformers, and I think Transformers is a little bit more guilty of this than this movie, yeah. but this movie is, is bad too, where, you know, you have all these, like, boots-on-the-ground troops in Afghanistan and people, like, serving, and, like, they show, like, the Air Force is everywhere doing everything. Yep. And you know it's because they needed to get Rhodey involved, and so they got the Air Force's thumbs up, so the Air Force gets to be everywhere. You know, if, if Rhodey in the comic books was a Navy SEAL, then there would have been Navy stuff everywhere. If Rhodey in the comic books was a Green Beret, we would have seen Army stuff everywhere. Well, what, what I would kind of hope is that they have, you know, Air Force, yes, I kind of get that, but I would expect there to also be Army. Yeah. You know, I, I expect the Army to be in the Humvee. Yeah, that right. kind of thing. Yeah, and no, actually, I understand where the guys are coming from because, yeah, especially when they have them on a satellite. Hey, guess what? That's the Air Force's job. They're going to have them on satellite. It's yeah. what I don't understand is that their boots on the ground guys, those were Air Force guys. The jets they scrambled, those were Air Force jets. It almost seems like the only service operating over there is the Air Force. Right. Which is is not true. I think the Air Force probably has, in terms of Afghanistan in 2008, probably had the smallest presence. About Don't hold that, me to yeah. that. I might be making that up. But yeah, I mean, at that point, it was mostly Army, lots of you know, lots of Marines, and like a few Navy and Air Force, you know, getting yeah. getting activated. Right. Yeah. This movie was very Air Force centric, and uh, again, not against the Air Force, but I'm just saying it, it was when you actually think about the reality of the setting, seeing so much Air Force was a little... I can suspend disbelief about the giant metal suit. Yeah. But I cannot suspend disbelief that the Air Force is the number one authority in Afghanistan right now. Yeah. I guess I can I, I can kind of understand changing up his role in this, but I think in the comics, Rhodey was a retired Marine who was Iron, who was Tony Stark's personal pilot. Yeah, I, uh, I don't know a whole ton about him. I did not think he was active duty in the comic books at any point in time. Yeah, I, th I think he was retired. Yeah, like, if I, the, the more I think about it, the more I think he, yeah, I think you're right. I think he was a Marine, but was retired. I think the yeah. Air Force was, was a service with money to throw around, so they probably wanted, like, a little yeah. recruit video there, so. Yeah, no, no, what you're saying sounds right. The more I think about it, the more I seem to remember that Rhodey was, he was a Marine Corps pilot, right? I and, think so, and yeah. That's, and then he became, he went on to work for Stark Industries, and it became like Tony's like bodyguard, chauffeur, pilot guy. Yeah. Yeah, no, that... Yeah, I think he, I think he was Marines. Yeah, the more Comics. the more I'm thinking about it, the more I think you're right. So they didn't even keep that correct. So they, in fact, even switched him over and made him in the Air Force, because I think the Air Force was willing to shell out money for a recruitment video. I, I understand, A, making him active duty, and I can also understand making him Air Force, because if you think about it, you, you look at all the logos and everything, they were trying to make... Stark Industries like Lockheed Martin. Oh yeah, blatantly looks like Lockheed Martin. And and you know one of Lockheed Martin's biggest customers is the Air Force. So that you would kind of expect there to be an Air Force liaison with that, not so much Marines. Yeah, but so. it's also fiction. They can make it up. They can make up whatever they want, but That's true. I mean, that I guess true. I guess for what they were doing for this movie, it makes sense that he's still active duty, but and I don't know if the Marines would necessarily have the same integration into the Stark Industries the way cuz I I don't know. At least given the way the movie was written, I really think if they had like if if they had tried to put to, to put in some kind of relationship between Stark and his personal pilot, it would have felt more forced than the romantic interest. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I don't think it would have worked. So I'm I'm okay with making him active duty. But now, oh, yeah. now that I'm remembering now for the first time in the last seven years that he was in the Marines and not the Air Force, I'm a little embarrassed by that. By the way, but 
Yeah. Yeah, now that I'm thinking about it, now that it kind of irks me a little bit because I don't like you treating branches of the military like they're interchangeable. Yeah, I agree there. I agree with you there. And and maybe I, I'm just being a little over overly sensitive to it, but that, whatever. I'm allowed to be overly sensitive to it. All right, so there's one more scene that we have to talk about before we can we can finish up our podcast. We have to talk about the post credit stinger. This is yep. the scene right here in one moment that made every theater worker hate Marvel for the rest <laughs> of their lives. <laughs> Oh, you you could just you see it in their faces where they walk in like, oh, we gotta wait. Nobody's leaving. Everyone's still sitting in their seats now because they. I know don't know why they coming. come in at, at that point. They know everyone's gonna wait. If they if if like anyone who doesn't wait. Like hasn't been paying attention. Yeah. Now I don't even remember why I stayed to the end. To be perfectly honest with you, I I don't remember mm. if they if they had released something that said make sure you stayed to the very end. I I don't remember. I I know how you know how I knew to stay. Um, I went to uh, a, a midnight release for this, mm. and it was the theater manager. He came in to the theater and like, but before the movie started, and said, "Hey, just to let y'all know, stay to the stay until the very end of the credits. Wait through the credits. There's a special scene at the end of it." And we we're like, oh, OK. And most people stayed like maybe a few people were like, uh, yeah, no, I don't have the patience for this. Yeah. You know, it was a midnight launch. Yeah, so they, no, I, I get that. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, m- my friends and I, we stuck around. Huh. Yeah, I, I remember sticking around. But yeah, I don't, I don't remember why. I For some reason, I knew something was at the end of the movie. And I don't remember if I had waited long enough so that other people had seen it and I'd heard something. But here we have this this final scene and we have Nick Fury introduced with Samuel L. Jackson playing him the way it was intended. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And basically says says the word everyone wanted to hear, the Avengers Initiative. Yep. And and from right there, basically, in the heads of every theater goer in America, they all basically lined up in their heads phase one of the Marvel Universe. Yeah, well, it at least started guessing like what 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 would come up next. Like, yeah. like we knew Incredible Hulk was coming out soon, so we right. figured, okay, that's got to be part of it. So this was, I, I I liked I liked the stinger at the end of the movie. I thought it worked for what it was. And what I really like most about it is that if you had wanted to just get up and walk out of the theater, you weren't missing anything. No, it, it was just an announcement. It was it was. Yeah. It, it was what they did in lieu of like a press conference where they announced it. Right. So I was I was a fan of that, and I thought that was the way to go. And it was I mean, as soon as you heard Samuel L. Jackson's voice, you knew it was Nick Fury. In my head, I was thinking like, oh, it's Nick Fury, because the Ultimate Universe Nick Fury is kind of look like Sam Jackson. Well, it's based after. on yeah. Sam Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. So, so things um, have come full circle now. All right, so now we have come to that part of the show where we talk about what our favorite parts of the movie were. And Axelon, we're going to go in alphabetical order, so I'm going to start with you. <laughs> awesome. The advantages of starting with A. So I would say my favorite part of the movie is honestly the th- that whole uh, – not, not not directly the opening scene, but that part where he's demonstrating the, the Jericho? Jericho missile. Yes. Mm, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's, he's so arrogant in that scene. It, it, it play, like, Robert Edgerton plays it perfectly. You know, he's, he's, he's literally like blowing their hats off. Yeah. With, with the shockwave of his missiles exploding. He's, he's just so happy. He's throwing in, you know, wine and a fancy, like, yeah. wine machine just, just on top of it all, because why not? Yeah, so this... I, will, I think it really captured his early character before the whole superhero thing. I think you're yeah. really going to enjoy this next little tidbit I have for you, because that the Jericho speech that he gave, Robert Downey Jr. wrote that himself. Uh, not surprised at all. Yeah. Not no, surprised, either. yeah. All right, so Brian, let's move on to you. What was your favorite part of Iron Man? Okay, can I do a favorite part and an honorable mention? Yeah, absolutely, you can. Okay, uh, so for honorable mention, I want to. I love. I love the part where like he's he's starting to take his suit off after he just made uh, Stain freeze himself, mm-hmm. pulling off his uh, his armor, and then Stain shows up and he he thrusts out his hand to to hit him with the with the blast and realizes I don't have my glove on. <laughs> Right, I, I, yeah. thought, I thought that was funny, mm-hmm. um, but I think my my favorite part, you know, this one just had me in stitches when it happened, was he finishes his first test flight with the Mark II armor and crashes through his ceiling, crashes yeah. through his living room, breaks this priceless car, and then dummy hits him with the uh, fire extinguisher. That was your favorite scene? That was my favorite scene. All right. I feel bad now because I'm about to piggyback on that because my favorite part of the movie was the first time he tried to use the thrusters and he hits the go and he smashes himself immediately into uh, the ceiling, yeah. falls back <laughs> behind his desk, and then dummy hits him with the fire extinguisher. <laughs> I uh, that that scene, even knowing it's coming now, 
on like what has to be probably the fifth or sixth time I've seen this movie. It still makes me laugh to see him just ricochet off the ceiling and get hit with the fire extinguisher. I, I laugh every time, and if it's that funny then... And I had no idea. Like This was a secret that was kept from everybody in the theaters. It wasn't a, a joke that was given away. So everyone in the theaters is expecting to see him fly for the first time, and when they just see him yep. fly into the ceiling, I, I laughed so hard. I loved it. So yeah. I will have to say that that is my favorite part of the movie. Now, my least favorite part of the movie, this is about as nitpicky as nitpicks get, <laughs> is that when you buy the Blu-ray, the special edition Blu-ray, I could, see, I told you I was getting nitpicky. <laughs> the special, now, not the ones you buy now. They've, they've re-released new prints, but on the initial prints of the Blu-ray, they come with that cardboard sleeve that everybody, you know, has in their movies. And I always was like, I threw the sleeve away and I just keep the Blu-ray case. Well, in this case, like, the Iron Man suit and the Iron Man title and everything, that was on the cardboard outside only. They thought it'd be cute, as if you take the Blu-ray case out from underneath, then it's Tony Stark underneath the suit. And it's funny and it's cute, but if I throw away that cardboard thing, I don't have a title page, I don't have the back where it says what the rating is or anything, I just have a picture of Robert Downey Jr. on the front of my DVD. It doesn't even yeah. say Iron Man on it, and that drove me nuts. And nuts enough that I co-opted an entire segment of my podcast and <laughs> devoted it to how much I dislike that packaging. But anyway, let's move on. Now it's time to give this movie a score. And I'm going to shake things up on my own podcast. I'm going to start with me, and we're just going to go in reverse order. <laughs> I usually go last, but I've decided I'm going to start first. I give Iron Man four boxes of scraps out of five. <laughs> I, I like the movie. I thought it worked really well. I have my nitpicks, but... And it, you know... It's one of those movies where when I have to watch it again for a podcast, I didn't complain, and I think that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. All right, Brian, let's go with you. I would give it four timed tank missiles out of five. Okay. Pretty much for the exact okay. same reason. You know, okay. it's 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 funny, it's good, it's got a lot of problems. Yeah. Excellent. What would you give Iron Man? This is, to me, uh, the best movie Marvel's made so far out of all of them. So I would give this a resounding four out of five... Dying robot Tony Stark's. <laughs> you brought it back, man. Yes. You brought it respect. Respect. <laughs> All right. And you know what? That's Iron Man. Thanks, guys, for showing up, and thanks for being on Hero Talk. Thanks. Good being here. All right. On behalf of my panel, I want to thank everybody, all of my loyal listeners, for coming in and joining us. If you have a movie you want to see discussed, or if you even want to join our panel on Hero Talk, you can email HeroTalk at Enthusiacs.com. For more podcasts, less plays, articles, videos, and reviews, visit Enthusiacs.com. Check us out on Twitter at Enthusiacs. We have a YouTube channel out there. That's YouTube.com slash Enthusiacs. And as always, we'll see you right back here on the next Hero Talk. Who's, who's playing it in uh, in the show Gotham? Oh, I should really oh, know this. Yeah. He was in Equilibrium, and we talked yeah. about yeah. it for quite a while. I have to cut this part out oh. where I don't know because I spoke <laughs> the guy's praises. <laughs>